forever. Long time no see. I mean, that's funny actually, because I see you all the time. I'm having a hard time hearing you though. I don't know if you saw oh, yeah, my text in chat. Uh, I forgot to turn the music down. That's probably why. There we go. Yeah, music now. Big time. My bad, you guys. No, um, so oh, the good. description uh, should include a link to the Marxist.org digital version um, of the book. I have my own copy, so I'll be reading from that. Um, if Austin ends up jumping in here, um, then he also will be reading from his own paper copy. Um, yeah, so basically, uh, if you haven't, uh, you can check out yesterday's current event stream to kind of find out our take of what's going on in the world which there's a lot. <laughs> um, today we're doing this, um, and the Tuesdays following probably will continue to be Revolutionary Left Book Club segments, even after we finish this book. Um, tomorrow we will be doing the AFL-CIO, AFL-CIO piece that we've been promising you guys for months at this point. <laughs> Um, and then Thursday, we will be doing part 10 of our uh, Bobby Seal Seize the Time series. And then all over again next week. Uh, you can, we can be found at forwearemany.org. We're on Facebook. We have two groups, the Education and Discussion Group as well as the mutual aid organizing group. I also recommend checking out the anti-fascist group while it's still there. Um, no, it's, it's a pretty fun group. Um, and if you like what we're doing, you can support us materially by going to patreon.com slash for we are many. I think I covered all our bases. Sounds like it, yeah. Thank you for that. I was I was getting interrupted. If you couldn't tell from all the like, go away. Um, let's see. <laughs> uh, oh man. Anyway, so if you're reading along on the digital version that should be in the description, I will also drop that link in the comments just to make sure because the view that I have right now isn't showing the description. 
that will be starting on page 14 because that version has every preface to every edition and while it would be important context to what was going on in each of those countries uh, i think it would be a more wise use of our time to just get down right to the original preface um, and into the material itself agreed um so are we gonna do this like we have been like a paragraph on and a paragraph off we can do that or a section on a section off how do you feel about it um i don't care either way uh feel free to interrupt me and that goes for those of you in the comments as well feel free to interrupt me if there is you know any questions you have or if you need a definition to any of the words that we use, um, so on and so forth. Any questions you have, feel free to ask them. The whole point of this is education, just like a regular book club. Indeed. <laughs> yes, it's very true. So do you want to start, or should I start? I can start. Okay. A manifesto of the Communist Party. A specter is haunting Europe, the specter of communism. All the powers of old Europe have entered into a holy alliance to exercise this specter. Open Tsar, Metternich and Gusets, French radicals and German police spies. Where is the party in opposition that has not been decried as communistic by its opponents in power? Where is the opposition that has not hurled back the brain reproach of communism against the more advanced opposition parties as well as against its reactionary adversaries? Two things result from this fact. One, communism is already acknowledged by all European powers to be itself a power. Two, it is high time that communists should openly, in the face of the whole world, publish their views, their arms, their tendencies, and meet this nursery tale of the specter of communism with a manifesto of the party itself. To this end, communists of various nationalities have assembled in London and such the following manifesto to be published in English, French, German, Italian, Flemish, and Danish languages. Give me just one second. I am, uh, you know, doing our usual posting to all of our leftist groups. Okay, while well, you do that, I'll continue. Part one, bourgeoisie and proletarians. The history of all hitherto existing society is the history of struggles. Freeman and slave, patrician and freeman, lord and serf, Guildmaster and journeyman, in a word, oppressor and oppressed, stood in constant opposition to one another, carrying on an uninterrupted, now hidden, now open fight. Each time You're breaking up. Revolutionary bad. reconstitution. Uh, not much I can do about that. I, you know, I, I apologize yeah, I know. to I the people in the audience. I, my hotspot isn't being the greatest signal over here. Um, That's okay. Um, where was I? I? I can pick it up for you. Uh, like, uh, where, where exactly were you, though? I was sharing the groups. 
I was in the middle of a sentence. Um, <laughs> uh, a fight that each time ended, either in a revolutionary reconstitution of society at large, or in the common ruin of the contending classes. Okay, and fair enough. If you want to pick up there in the earlier epics. Uh, yeah, sounds good. And then I'll read, uh, you know, three or four paragraphs to make up for it. <laughs> in the earlier epochs of okay. society, we find almost everywhere a complicated arrangement of society into various orders, a manifold grad, uh, gradation of social rank. In ancient Rome, we have patricians, knights, plebeians, slaves. In the Middle Ages, we had feudal lords, vassals, guildmasters, journeymen, apprentices, serfs, and almost all of these classes, again, subordinate, subordinate gradations. The modern bourgeois society that has sprouted from the ruins of feudal society has not done away with class antagonisms. It has but established new classes, new conditions of oppression, new forms of struggle in place of the old ones. Our epoch, the epoch of the bourgeoisie, possesses, however, this distinctive feature. It has simplified, slim, simplified, <laughs> oh my God, I'm trying to put an extra L in there. Um, <laughs> where I lost my spot on yeah. the page. Simplified, simplified class, antagonisms. class antagonisms. Society as a whole is more and more splitting up into two great hostile camps, into two great classes directly facing each other, bourgeoisie and proletariat. Um, if, if you aren't already familiar with these terms, the bourgeoisie is referring to the oligarchs, the ruling class, and the proletariat the wealthy. is referring to fucking everybody else, the working class. Right, the working class. From the serfs of the Middle Ages sprang the chartered uh, burghers, I should look that one up, of the earliest towns. From these burgesses, the first elements of the bourgeoisie were developed. The discovery of America, the rounding of the Cape, opened up fresh ground for the rising bourgeoisie. The East Indian and Chinese markets, the colonization of America, trade with the colonies, the increase in the means of exchange and commodities generally gave to commerce, to navigation, to industry, an impulse never known before, and thereby to the revolutionary element in the tottering feudal society, a rapid development. So, the feudal uh, system. Burgers. Go ahead. Refers to a citizen of a town or a city, typically a member of the wealthy bourgeoisie. Okay. Um, the feudal system. Straightforward enough. Yeah. Right. It's a. Uh, it's an archaic. Um, it's. It's supposed to be humorous, like a. Like a slang term, basically. Okay. Yeah. So, and for anyone following along, that's burgers with a GH instead of just a G. Right. Yeah. <laughs> if you want to look yeah. into that right. some more yourself. Burgers. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Oh, man. The feudal system of industry, oh, in which industrial pro production was monopolized by closed guilds, now, long, uh, now no longer sufficed for the growing wants of the new markets. The manufacturing system took its place. The guild masters were pushed on one side by the manufacturing middle class. Division of labor between the different corporate guilds vanished in the face of division of labor in each single workshop. Meantime, the markets ever kept growing, the demand ever rising. 
Even manufacture no longer sufficed. Thereupon, steam and machinery revolutionized industrial production. The place of manufacture was taken by the giant, modern industry, the place of the industrial middle class by industrial millionaires, the leaders of whole industrial armies, the modern bourgeoisie. Modern industry has established the world market for which the discovery of America paved the way. This market has given an immense development to commerce, to navigation, to communication by land. This development has, in its turn, reacted on the extension of industry. And in proportion as industry, commerce, navigation, and railways extended. In the same proportion, the bourgeoisie developed, increased its capital, and pushed into the background every class handed down from the Middle Ages. We see, therefore, how the modern bourgeoisie is itself the product of a long course of development, of a series of revolutions in the modes of production and exchange. Each step in the development of the bourgeoisie was accompanied by a corresponding political advance of that class. An oppressed class under the sway of the feudal no uh, nobility, an armed and self-governing association in the medieval commune, here independent urban republic as in Italy and Germany, uh, their taxable third estate of the monarchy as in France, afterwards in the period of manufacture proper, serving either the semi-feudal or the absolute monarchy as a counterpoise against the nobility, and in fact cornerstone of the great monarchies in general. The bourgeoisie has at last, since the establishment of modern industry and of the world market, conquered for itself in the modern representative state exclusive political sway. The executive of the modern state is but a committee for managing the common affairs of the whole bourgeoisie. The bourgeoisie historically has played a most revolutionary part. The bourgeoisie, wherever it has got the upper hand, has put an end to all feudal, patriarchal, idyllic relations. It has pitilessly torn as, uh, asunder the motley feudal ties that bound man to his natural superiors and has left remaining no other nexus between man and man than naked self-interest, than callous cash payment. It has drawn the most heavenly ecstasies of religious fervor, of chivalrous enthusiasm, of philistine sentimentalism, and the icy water of egotistical calculation. It has resolved personal worth into exchange value, and in place of the numerous and feasible chartered freedoms has set up that single unconscionable freedom free trade in one word for exploitation veiled by religious and political illusions naked shameless direct brutal exploitation so i, I just want to point out how relevant uh this still is today we still live in a society right. a class society based um on wage slave labor commodifying human existence um the, the exact kind of things that he's warning about have come true and more. Right. That's one thing, like, even that previous paragraph was just ringing bells in my head of these are the complaints people still have today, you know, because capitalism has been allowed to go unfettered for so long. They could see it coming even then. Yeah. The bourgeoisie has stripped of its halo every occupation hitherto honored and looked up to with reverent awe. 
It has converted the physician, the lawyer, the priest, the poet, the man of science into its paid wage laborers. The bourgeoisie has torn away from the family its sentimental veil and has reduced the family relation to a mere money relation. <clears throat> Sound familiar as far as tax breaks that you get only if you're married? Uh, the bourgeoisie has disclosed how much or how it came to pass that the brutal display of vigor in the Middle Ages, which reactionaries so much admire, found its fitting complement in the most, most slothful indolence. It has been the first to show what man's activity can bring about. It has accomplished wonders far surpassing Egyptian pyramids, Roman aqueducts, and Gothic cathedrals. It has conducted expeditions that put in the shade all former exoduses of nations and crusades. I the mean, bourgeoisie... That seems fairly, uh, fairly accurate. I mean, yeah. but at the same time, we also have to, uh, you know, acknowledge that the pyramids and the aqueducts are still standing. Our infrastructure is right. not still going to be standing in a thousand years. I guarantee it. Fuck no. It's Fuck barely no. standing now. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> right. <laughs> Hell, just look at Michigan roads. We have to repave those every fucking year because of using the cheapest supplies and labor that are possibly available being offered. Anyway. But in terms of scale, though, I, I, which I think is ultimately what he's getting at, he's totally accurate. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, was, uh, the, the bourgeoisie, bourgeoisie cannot exist without constantly revolutionizing the instruments of production and thereby the relations of production and with them the whole relations of society. Conservation of the old modes of production in unaltered form was, on the contrary, the first condition of existence for all earlier industrial classes. Constant revolutionizing of production, uninterrupted disturbance of all social conditions, everlasting uncertainty and agitation, distinguish the bourgeois epoch from all earlier ones. All fixed, fast-frozen relations with their train of ancient and venerable prejudices and opinions are swept away. All new formed ones become antiquated before they can ossify. All that is solid melts into air. All that is holy is profaned. And man is at last compelled to face with sober senses his real conditions of life and his relations with his kind. The need of a constantly expanding market for its products chases the bourgeoisie over the entire surface of the globe. It must nestle everywhere, settle everywhere, establish connections everywhere. <clears throat> Colonization much? Just say that that's part of how they gained that stronghold Jason on a global asked level. In the comments, is this an anarchist podcast? That's kind of funny. We're reading the Communist <laughs> Manifesto. Um, that being said, the idea is that it is a pan-leftist uh, podcast. So yeah. that would include anarchists. Um, but we're currently reading communist literature. And uh, I mean, I guess the, the two of us anyway um, are more communists than anarchists. But, you know... 
Oh, he said sarcasm. Right. It's hard. It's hard to hear sarcasm through fucking comments, bro. You know that. <laughs> right. Right. Like if you, if you want us to hear that in your voice and lend some inflection, get the fuck in the Zoom room, bro. <laughs> <laughs> oh goodness. Um, I was really confused by that though. So I mean, the sarcasm makes sense. It it does. Like, do we have some anarchist leanings? Of course, when it comes to like the definition of it, meaning I choose not to be governed over or to govern over anyone else. But honestly, if we're ever going to get there where we don't need any form of government, people need to learn how to police themselves. People need to learn how to be responsible for their own behavior where we wouldn't need rules but anyways hopefully one day we can get there i would love to see a governmentless society same of horizontal structure all the way across the board but anywho uh jamie I said full anarchist myself welcome to the party name? jamie hell yes solidarity i i would probably describe myself as a marxist leninist who dreams of anarchy Fair enough. Would be beautiful. Would be. I'm Hopefully sorry, we can get there. Uh, the bourgeoisie has, through its exploitation of the world market, given a cosmopolitan character, production, and consumption in every To the grin of reactionists, it has drawn from under the feet of industry the national ground on which it stood. All old established national industries have been destroyed or are daily being destroyed. They are dislodged by new industries whose introduction becomes a life and death question for all civilized nations by industries that no longer work up indigenous raw material, but raw material drawn from the remotest zones, industries whose products are consumed not only at home, but in every quarter of the globe. In place of the old wants, satisfied by the production of the country, we find new wants requiring for their satisfaction the products of distant lands and climes. In place of the old local and national seclusion and self-sufficiency, we have intercourse in every direction, universal interdependence of nations, and as in material, so also in intellectual production. The intellectual creations of individual nations become common property. National one-sidedness and narrow-mindedness become more and more impossible. And from the numerous national and local literatures, there arises a world literature. Hell yeah. Would you like to pick up there? Sure. The bourgeoisie, by the rapid improvement of all instruments of production, by the immensely facilitated means of communication, draws all, even the most barbarian nations, into civilization. The cheap prices of its commodities are the heavy artillery with which it batters down all Chinese walls, which, uh, with which it forces the barbarians' intensely obstinate hatred of foreigners to capitulate. It compels all nations, on pain of extinction, to adopt the bourgeois mode of production, it compels them to introduce what calls or what it calls civilization into their midst 
i.e. to become bourgeois themselves. In one word, it creates a world after its own image. And we still see that today in the form of U.S. imperialism. Right. Hell, look at the American dream itself. It's to dream of, you know, getting to exploit so many fucking people at once that you manage to become bourgeoisie yourself. I also just noticed that Jason said I will gladly come in there. Jason, it's the uh, same meeting that you came to last time. I'll let you in. Uh, Jamie said I missed the start. Who were the speakers? If you're referring to Trisha and I, my name's Rob and that's Trisha. And uh, Hi. Welcome, we Jamie. Your hosts and comrades. Um, as you can probably tell from the description, we are reading the Communist Manifesto and discussing it, how it applies today. Um, and we will do this until we reach the end of the book. <laughs> All right. This is just part one. <laughs> right. um, and we've been doing these pieces um, typically, you know, one a week for each book that we're working on in our Revolutionary Left Book Club. Um, we're starting to build a library of these things. If you need the link to be able to read along with us, I believe that's already in the comments, right? Or in the description? Uh, yeah, yeah. It's in the comments and in the description. Okay. And uh, yes, Jamie, that Rob. Um, um, as for what's on that link, we are on page 17. Uh, if you're in the paper book, you're in the middle of page 12. Okay, thank you for that. Uh, the bourgeoisie has subjected the country to the rule of the towns. It has created enormous cities, has greatly increased the urban population as compared with the rural, and has thus rescued a considerable part of the population from the idiocy of rural life. Just as it has made the country dependent on the towns, so it has made barbarian and semi-barbarian countries dependent on the civilized ones nations of peasants on nations of bourgeoisie, the East on the West. The bourgeoisie keeps more and more doing away with the scattered state of the population, of the means of production, and of property. It has agglomerated population, centralized the means of production, and has concentrated property in a few hands. The necessary consequence of this was political centralization, Independent or but loosely connected provinces with separate interests, laws, governments, and systems of taxation become lumped together into one nation with one government, one code of laws, one national class interest, one frontier, and one customs tariff. What's up, Jason? How's it going? Uh, greetings, comrades. Welcome How's back. Going? Good to see you. Oh, thanks for having me back. I mean, how could we not have you back when we're discussing the Communist Manifesto? Exactly. Right. I'm glad that you thought of me. Right. Uh, let's see here. Let me make sure I'm on the right chapter here. I'd like to read along with you all or at least follow along. All right. Yeah, you're so, Absolutely. To. We're about a third of the way down page 17 if you're on that link that we popped up. Oh, no, no, no. I have that in PDF file on my, uh, uh, not surprised. Here. Yeah, I'm not surprised <laughs> either. But if, if it's the version from Marxist.org, then 
um, it'll be page 17. <laughs> right. Page 17. Come on, man. Let's see. Oh, I was following along while you were talking and then, okay, there we go. World literature. Okay. Yes. The bourgeoisie, during its rule of scarce 100 years, has created more massive and more colossal productive forces than have all preceding generations together. Subjection of nature's forces to man machinery, application of chemistry to industry and agriculture, steam navigation, railways, electric telegraphs, clearing of whole continents for cultivation, canalization of rivers, whole populations conjured out of the ground, what earlier century had that such productive forces floated in the lap of social labor. We see then... You're um, cutting out really bad again. Do you mind if I uh, take over for a minute? Or Jason, one of the two. She well, sounds like a, she sounds like an electric robot. Robot. Oh, I'm going full Skrillex and dropping the bass again, huh? <laughs> <laughs> oh Jesus! <laughs> we see then the right of production and of exchange, on whose foundation the bourgeoisie built itself up, were generated in feudal society. <clears throat> At a certain stage in the development of these means of production and of exchange, the conditions under which feudal society produced and exchanged, the feudal organization of agriculture and manufacturing industry, in one word, the feudal relations of property became no longer compatible with the already developed productive forces. They became so many fetters. They had to be burst asunder. They were burst asunder. Into their place stepped free competition, accompanied by a social and political constitution adapted to it and by the economical and political sway of the bourgeois class. Um, I think that we still, uh, what he just said and what he's talking about in the next paragraph is super relevant to, to today. Um, because I mean, we're always hearing about the free market, right? And there's always a political, I mean, our, our constitution is written around that right and the <laughs> economical and <laughs> political sway of the bourgeois class is our ruling system right <laughs> pretty much i mean look we've got lobbying where you know the bourgeoisie get to buy extra votes basically right. of what we have to say doesn't fucking matter when they're cutting fucking checks to have legislation written in certain manners that benefits them and fucks us a similar movement is going on before our own eyes. Modern bourgeois society with its relations of production, of exchange and of property. A society that has conjured up such gigantic means of production and of exchange is like the sorcerer who is no longer able to control the powers of the netherworld whom he has called up by his spells. I love his like metaphorical um, wordplay there. It's pretty great. Same. For a decade past the history of industry, and commerce is but the history of the revolt of modern productive forces against modern conditions of production, against the property relations that are the conditions for the existence of the bourgeoisie and of its rule. It is enough to mention the commercial crises that by their periodical return put uh, on its trial each time more threateningly. The existence of the entire bourgeois society 
in these crises, a great part not only of the existing products, but also of the previously created productive forces are periodically destroyed. In these crises, there breaks out an epidemic that in all earlier epochs would have seemed an absurdity. The epidemic of overproduction. Sound familiar? We throw away more than a third of the food that we produce. Right. Society suddenly finds itself put back into a state of momentary barbarism. It appears as if a famine, a universal war of devastation, had cut off the supply of every means of subsistence. Industry and commerce seem to be destroyed, and why? Because there is too much civilization, too much means of subsistence, too much industry, too much commerce. The productive forces at the disposal of society no longer tend to further the development of the conditions of bourgeois property. On the contrary, they have become too powerful, too powerful for these conditions, by which they are fettered, and so on, are, uh, and so soon as they overcome the fetters, they bring disorder into the whole of bourgeois society, endanger the existence of bourgeois property. The conditions of bourgeois society are too narrow to comprise the wealth created by them. <coughs> and how does the bourgeoisie get over these crises? On the one hand, uh, enforced destruction of a mass of productive forces. On the other, by the conquest of new markets. Notice his word choice there, conquest, not, not free trade, but conquest of new markets. And by the more thorough right. exploitation of the old ones. That is to say, by paving the way for more extensive and more destructive crises, <coughs> climate change, and by dimin diminishing the means whereby crises are prevented, prevented, rather. Well said. Uh, can we back up just a little bit on that one? Yeah, go ahead. Uh, what Marx is explaining, it's about three or four paragraphs up. Um, he's explaining and trying to get the regular pro proletariat and scholars to understand that what he's discussing is that the material conditions are different according to your class. If you're a peasant, then you're just completely subjugated and you're resigned to a life of uh, poverty and slave wages, starvation, you name it, disease, no health care. You're just basically in a concentration camp. But I like the way he explained it in a in a way without knowing exactly what he was explaining. Because that had none of that had really happened yet in the modern era. It had happened before in feudal Europe, but in the modern world it hadn't repeated itself yet. So he was real clear in laying out that material conditions are different for every class. There are the the lumpen prole proletariat, the lowest tier of the proletariat. They have none, zero. And then on the other side of the scale, we have the <clears throat> you can call them kulaks, you can call them chetniks, you can call them liquors. You can call them whatever you want. You can call them fucking bourgeoisie. You can call them parasites. No, but they're like wannabe bourgeoisie. They're like the petty bourgeois. Who? Well, oh, I'm, I'm meaning like landlords, uh, that type of thing. They, oh, no, I mean, I'm talking about I'm talking about the ultra wealthy oh, okay, on the okay. on the other side of the spectrum. Right. Okay. Yeah, you and did each, say that. My bad. 
<clears throat> it's okay. Uh, sometimes I don't understand what the fuck I'm talking about either. I just go on automatic, like right now. So, Jamie said living fertilizer. <laughs> yes. Living yes, fertilizer. Yes, I like that. <laughs> so, just uh, a big fucking pile of nutrients. Yes. So, um, every, <clears throat> every descending class has its own material conditions. Okay. What the lowest tier needs, who have nothing, they have no bargaining power. They have no money. They have no property. They are oppressed, overly imprisoned. They're all addicted to fucking drugs. They're the mental illness runs unchecked for generations and generations. That is where everything needs to be focused on is on the lowest of our comrades, the most marginalized. You know, I'm not going to go into who is the most marginalized. We all know that we're all comrades. Uh, right. And, <clears throat> you know, when you're talking about, <clears throat> when you, <clears throat> actually, I'm sorry, sorry, excuse me. I smoked those dabs and they're coming back at me for a second. Give me a second. <laughs> They'll do that. <clears throat> yeah, that was weird, man. That was like a five minute turnaround on that shit. So, anyway, I don't want to get off track. What, Marx is explaining here is he's going through what it means to the be the, uh, to be obstructed by material conditions that are around you. And he goes into great detail about it. You know, like now you could take a, a, a writer or a politician post like Michael Parenti and, you know, that other dude you can't hardly understand. He's from like Croatia or something. Uh, and we need to start from there and build up from that lowest tier. All of our humanity relies on uplifting the lowest tier. Sometimes we just get far away from that. And it was really cool that Marx just was able to recognize that in the mid 1800s. And it was, re it was, it was heralded as not philosophy at the time, it was uh, regarded as like science almost. Like he had created some sort of breakthrough of what is oppressing us. And he just goes on to detail it more and more. And I like how it really builds up. He's just really building the bile against the bourgeois in the first fucking part of this book, man. And it just keeps building and building and building until you literally want to go burn down fucking banks after you close the book so well and i mean and that's just like a chunk off the iceberg anyway if you really like i mean there's what three volumes of capital or four volumes of capital where he continues that and uh, that class analysis oh you I, mean you, well you we mean really did have it figured out down to science yeah. it, well it was already observable Everything that he wrote about is happening right now in real time. Oh yeah, I mean he predicted <laughs> he predicted the closure of the Suez Canal for fuck's sake in the late right. 1800s, and it didn't happen until 2020. Mark Adamus. Well, Mark Adamus. <laughs> That's pretty funny. <laughs> well, Rob, you know that uh, um, Egypt uh, invaded. The Suez Canal and and Israel 
back in uh, the Israeli, Egypt-Israeli war. And they actually took control of the uh, Suez Canal back then. Were you saying that? that well, Mark's I mean, he, he had talked about how uh, if there was ever a blockage on the Suez Canal, how it would impact the entire globe's supply lines. And that's exactly what happened when that dumbass ship got stuck last year or this year, whenever the hell it was. When was that? I forget if that it was, was like, this year or last year, but it was- That was like year. nine years ago, wasn't it? The, the Greenpeace or the, the Greenway or some ship. I mean, fucking got um, lodged in the goddamn Suez Canal. You're goddamn right. That's an important shipping lane right there. Right. I, I guess actually you're right. That wasn't the first time that it happened. That was the second time no. that it happened. But there, yeah. I, the one I was talking about was March of this year. I didn't realize. Yeah, I, know. That, yeah. I didn't realize that that wasn't the first time that it happened. No. You know what's cool about that is uh, with the uh, for me. You know, I like to always be learning new things. And the experiences so far that I've had with, uh, um, you know, the, what's the proper word? If I say younger folks, is that, does that upset y'all? No. No. Okay. All right. <laughs> younger folks or like younger generation, you know, I'm not trying to be, uh, uh, not trying to marginalize y'all, you know, uh, I'm very glad that. I've noticed that with the things that like we were taught in school, I'm noticing that you were also not taught that in school, you know? Right. And that's kind of interesting. Like they just sort of, they pick and choose history now, like 20, 25 years after I graduated and the curriculum's changed that much that I'm just kind of just, Sometimes just stunned by that. And it's not just y'all. It's just like regular shit that they taught us back in the 70s and 80s about shit that they just don't teach y'all. Is there just too much information? Or is that just well, glossed over? I mean, honestly, glossed, I think it's is got it a just glossed to over? do with the No Child Left Behind Act. Wow. Rob's going, man. Come on. Let's hear this one. Well, I mean, it's got a nice fancy name that sounds like it's all for the children, right? But in reality, there's no way that you can like get ahead. You're stuck learning at the pace of the slowest person in the class. Under the premise that- That or you don't even pass your courses and you get put ahead to the next grade anyways, even though you didn't learn the material from the year prior just because they're like, but you'll feel bad if you're not with your peers of the same age. And it's like, Oh my fucking god! Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Our education's okay. so broken. That makes yeah. a lot of sense. Makes a lot of fucking sense. Yeah, I, was I, didn't, I didn't mean that. I didn't mean that, in, no I didn't mean that in a uh, insulting way. I was no, just, I, I was just like, there just seems to be like gaps. That, like we learned all about that. Like that was like happening on the news and shit while we were yeah, growing up. In most districts, that whole deal, things like you know? civics and, uh, yeah. you know, shit like that aren't even required anymore, which is... It's just no. very, it's very interesting. I mean, it's just very fucking interesting. I love interacting with the younger folks more and more. I mean, seriously. It just, uh, fuck it, just fucking, it fuels me a bit more. 
man, I like it. I like being able to under, under, understand what y'all are doing and what ha and what you know, everything. And it's just great. It, it helps me. So I, I just love it. Oh, yeah. Well, well, I mean, that's, when that's it, how we grow is we have these discussions together and we right. and learn to grow. <laughs> right. That's part of why we started this was to be able to learn more about these things, because the fact of the matter is we all got fucked when it came to history class in one fucking way or another. Yeah, and, um, and the funny where, thing is, is, I mean, I, I guess I can't speak for everybody, but I feel like most of us were pretty like social democrat oriented a year ago when we first started talking about this but then we started actually doing research and reading shit and now slowly but surely we're all becoming communists <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot of folks like me that could not be happier and it is fantastic you're realizing you're coming away from the red scare that socialism yeah. was a bad thing and that communism is bad Wait a minute. You look a little bit more closely, and it wasn't bad at all. <laughs> no. The problem is with the Red Scare bullshit is they were teaching people about authoritarian bullshit and trying to call that communism. Yes. When communism is a financial system, and if you look at what we even have happening here today, we have authoritarian authoritarianism going hand in hand with capitalism right here in the States. And so it, it's dumbfounding when people try to point out, oh, well, communism does this, 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 and this, and they list off authoritarian shit. And I'm like, you mean what capitalism is already doing to you right now? Like, <laughs> oh, you say communism wants to take your house. Well, capitalism <laughs> already did because, you know, you lost your job in the fucking pandemic and, you know, couldn't pay a house note or even... 12 fucking years ago, 13 years ago, capitalism took your fucking house because banks wrote bad fucking house notes, you know, and everything collapsed. Like, wait a fucking minute. You're worried about the things that are already happening to us here in this capitalist shit? It's well, there's ridiculous. A, there's a great disconnect in the right wing pop propaganda has been so fucking clever mm -hmm. and so pervasive that it has infected uh, the working class. And it didn't happen overnight. It's happened over the past like three decades, probably. Um, I'd say back further than that because- Radicalized fucking Nazi assholes. <laughs> right, oh God. It's so fucking just disturbing. But you know, a lot of this started with even earlier decades. Like at the turn of the last century, we already had socialists and communists starting to actually unionize all the workers and going and protesting, going on strike for workers' rights. The first Red Scare alone got totally propagandized by capitalists, by what year, Republicans, what year, the what year are you talking fucking about? whole right wing. What, what year are you talking about? Uh, first Red Scare would have been in like the 1910s, 1920s, if I remember correctly. Rob, can you hear me? Yeah, I hear you. Dates for the first Red Scare. That was 1910s and 1920s, if I remember correctly. Yeah, well, it started 1918. in 1918. Yep. Um, yeah. Yeah. 
So at that point in time, there was already, you know, a lot of anti-communist propaganda starting, and they were using that to basically try to manipulate the working class into um, feeling bad for their oppressor, going, you're a bad person if you demand workers' rights, basically. So it stagnated what the unions were even able to do. The whole purpose of unions beginning was to seize the means of production and actually have you know, a horizontal structure there where everyone who is a worker is part owner of that place. And instead, they got squashed where, oh, well, we're just, we're going to give you these few things of like cutting your work hours and we'll give you a little bit better pay and a little bit better benefits if you please stop burning our shit. And they should have kept burning some shit because... I'll just say, even pointing out, like, the Pullman strike, burning some shit, got some shit done. Um, even if Eugene Debs <laughs> sat time in prison for it, which I think was crucial to his own growth. Right. And that that set the stage for later unionization projects to also get squashed to a certain extent by telling people, wait, if you ask for too much respect in the workplace, you're a fucking commie. You're a bad person. <laughs> right. Like, wait a fucking minute. Well, and let's it not conditioned forget how people. the unions, you know, in the late 30s, early 40s, pushed out the communists, or tried to anyway, made them grow under. Right. Them. And um, it's like, dude, the whole idea of unionizing came from socialists and communists who were going, wait a fucking minute, we're tired of being shit on by capitalists exploiting our labor. And right. it's taken multiple generations there for the right wing to actually condition people to the point where look at how many union members we have now that are actually right wing, vote Republican, hardcore, and it's like, wow, you just boot keep lickers. voting against your own better good. <laughs> They're bootlickers. Guess what? Yes. So I wanna I wanna catch up on the comments real quick. Jamie said my experience in the armed services pushed me to question the status quo, and I'm I'm glad for that. And then he's right. uh, and then it was said military service members get socialism here. So it was like what the fuck? All this shit they tell us we need to right. fear. They're handing it out like candy to military politicians and the rich. And exactly, you can think whatever you want to think about Bernie Sanders, but I have a Bernie quote for that. Uh, in America, we have socialism for the rich and rugged individualism for the poor. Yep. They want to be socialized. They want to be subsidized. They want not only to get tax breaks, but tax <laughs> returns on their fucking multi-billion dollar fucking profit margins <clears throat> for these corporations. Hey, Rob, they want to you... get a fucking lion's share of even COVID funding. <laughs> <laughs> What, was that, what the fuck is wrong with us? Can you repeat like the last two or three sentences of that, what you just said? My little rant there? <laughs> um, so, oh, Jamie's rant? All this shit they tell us we need to fear they're handing Jamie? it out to like candy to military politicians and the rich or the Bernie quote part. Uh, socialism for the rich and rugged individualism for the poor. Yeah. Man, that's some word salad shit and, right there. I mean, it kind of is, but <laughs> I, I mean, it. if you really boil it down, that I is kind of... I had to hear it twice just to make sure I actually heard word salad. 
that somehow I'm supposed to accept as a uh, Oh yeah, well, we're, we're talking it. about instead like of the, going the too big to fail oh, as Robert some said word comments, We're talking about <laughs> you know like think about the the 2008 uh, crisis or think about the COVID crisis. Who got bailed out? The one percent. Who got sold out? The right. working class. Right. They wanted to be subsidized. They wanted socialism for them. Of like, oh man, I only have so many billions in my bank <laughs> account. I need you to pad this for me so I. I don't and I understand go under. That, that obviously isn't actually socialism, but the idea is that they want, uh, you know, social programs for them, but they don't want right, social programs not for, us. for the working class. The same people who bitch about having like thirty dollars of their taxes go towards some fucking food stamps got fuck all to say about like four thousand dollars of their tax money going towards corporate subsidy. That's based off of like a $50,000 a year income and your federal taxes there. That people are bitching to high heaven about, oh my God, I can't believe, can I get a picture of the family I'm feeding to put on my fridge? And it's like, yeah, sure, here. Here's the Waltons. Here's fucking Jeff Bezos. Here's Elon Musk. Put them on your fridge because that's who the fuck your tax dollars are feeding. Uh, Peyton in the comments said exactly. That's another new name. Welcome. Um, so where, where in the book were we? Were we at the weapons oh, with which the bourgeoisie uh, felt feudalism? Can I, I just want to say one more thing. Yeah. And I'll, I'll read the next uh, 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 paragraph, if that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> is, right that, is that uh, full circle on what y'all just all said there? I'm just going to put a little synopsis on it, okay? You know who spurned the workers' movements? of the late 1800s and early 1900s in the, on the globe? Hmm. Karl Marx. Hmm. People well, yeah, read his I mean, shit. We, he we pulled the fucking a... sheet back. He pulled the curtain back, man. Exactly. Said, Look, y'all, here it is right here. We, we, we just did a piece on uh, the German revolutions and counter-revolutions of 1848 and 49, and it's important to point out that all of that happened immediately following the release in Germany of the Communist Manifesto. All right, people read it and went, oh shit, he's exposing oh, the probably underbelly. Just a, probably just a weird coincidence. You know? <laughs> and here we are reading the Communist Manifesto in a live streaming broadcast on the internet 170 years later, right? Yeah. 70-something? Huh? Right. Hell, if, some, if, someone, if someone tells me that, that Karl Marx is an, an immortal comrade to the working class and has led to this, this class struggle, I would say, suck my dick. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Hell yeah. I would like to All read right. the next. I would like Jason, to read the next two. Uh, would you like to pick up? <laughs> That's what he was saying. <laughs> she turned into a, a evil, poisonous <laughs> robot again there for a second. Oh my god! Yeah, it was taking a second for the audio to catch up. It does that. Go ahead, uh, read away, bro. Oh. <laughs> Whoa. Easy, robot. 
<laughs> I'm going to read this in the style of what I think Karl Marx uh, was expressing at the time when he wrote this. Probably naked in an apartment in Berlin at three o'clock in the morning, drunk as shit. With Smoking. a shotgun. Yeah. Owing to the extensive use of machinery and to the division of labor, the work of the proletarians has lost all individual character and consequently all charm for the workman. He becomes an appendage of the machine and it is only the most simple, most monotonous and most easily acquired knack that is required of him. Hence, the cost of production of a workman is restricted almost entirely to the means of subsistence that he requires for maintenance and for the propagation of his race. But the price of a commodity and therefore also of labor is equal to its cost of production. In proportion, therefore, as the repulsiveness of the work increases, the wage decreases. Nay, more in proportion as the use of machinery and division of labor increases, in the same proportion, the burden of toil also increases. Whether by prolongation of the working hours, by the increase of the work exacted in a given time, or by increased speed of machinery, etc. Indeed. That's my impression of Karl Marx. I feel like it wasn't quite German enough, but... It wasn't what? It wasn't quite German enough. <laughs> <laughs> Other than that, though, I think you're pretty spot on. Oh, That's man. literally literally the best comment ever, man. Uh, Jamie <laughs> said, also happening it, now, still. It wasn't German enough. <laughs> <laughs> Modern history has converted the little workshop of the patriarchal master into the great factory of the industrial capitalist. Masses of laborers crowded into the factory or organized like soldiers. As privates of the industrial army, they are placed under the command of a perfect hierarchy of officers and sergeants. Not only are they the slaves of the bourgeois class and of the bourgeois state, they are daily and hourly enslaved by the machine, by the overlooker, and above all, by the individual bourgeois manufacturer himself. The more openly this despotism proclaims gain to be its end and aim, the more petty, the more hateful, and the more embittering it is. Good one, Rob. Good one. Anybody, uh, are, are we going to get back to doing like a paragraph and switching or? Sure. Hey, man. Just fucking, I'm, I'm all, I'm all over it. <clears throat> I'm going to read this one. Not only German, but I'm going to go way harder German on this <laughs> one. Okay. Herr Deutschlanders. <laughs> the lesser skill and exertion of the strength implied in manual labor 
in other words, the more modern industry becomes developed, the more is the labor of men superseded by that of the Fraulein. Differences of age, sex, have no longer any distinctive social validity for the working class. All are instruments of labor, more or less expensive to use according to their age and sex. Mm, indeed. I can't say that one wasn't German enough, but Jamie said <laughs> still English, bro. <laughs> <laughs> hey, man. You fuck, you fucking threw the bones down. I know. So I just, I went all out. You want to get the next uh, paragraph, Trisha? <laughs> sure. Um, and just point me to which one here, because I had to step aside for a moment. Uh, no. I was listening and laughing. <laughs> no sooner is the exploitation is where we're at. Ah. No sooner is the exploitation of the laborer by the manufacturer so far at an end that he receives his wages in cash than he is set upon by other portions of the bourgeoisie, the landlord, the shopkeeper, the pawnbroker, etc. The lower strata of the middle class, the small tradespeople, shopkeepers, and retired tradesmen generally, the handicraftsmen and peasants, all these sink gradually into the proletariat partly because their diminutive capital does not suffice for the scale on which modern industry is carried on and is swamped in the competition of the large capitalists, partly because their specialized skill is rendered worthless by new methods of production. Thus, the proletariat is recruited from all classes of the population. The proletariat goes through various stages of development. With its birth begins its struggle with the bourgeoisie. At the first contest, or at first the contest is carried on by individual laborers, then by the work people of the factory, then by the operatives of one trade in one locality against the individual bourgeois who directly exploits them. They direct their attacks not against the bourgeois conditions of production, but against the instruments of production themselves. They destroy imported wares that compete with their labor, they smash to pieces mis uh, machinery, they set factories ablaze, they seek to restore by force the vanished status of the workmen of the Middle Ages. At this stage, the laborers still form an incoherent mass scattered over the whole country and broken up by their mutual competition. If anywhere they unite to form more compact bodies, this is not yet the consequence of their own active union, but of the union of the bourgeoisie, which class in order to attain its own political ends, is compelled to set the whole proletariat in motion and is moreover yet, for a time, able to do so. At this stage, therefore, the proletarians do not fight their enemies, but the enemies of their enemies, the remnants of absolute monarchy, the landowners, the non-industrial bourgeois, the petty bourgeois. Thus, the whole historical movement is concentrated in the hands of the bourgeoisie. Every victory so obtained is a victory for the bourgeoisie. But with uh, the development Jamie. of industry, 
Oh, uh, I was just going to read that? a comment. Sorry. Jamie said in the comments, now we just dump excess production in landfills because God forbid somebody gets something for free. Right. We have people not even being allowed to donate food from restaurants and grocery stores to, you know, they can't donate it to the poor. They have to throw it away. We have laws dictating that. Like, seriously? It's fucked. Uh, but with the development of industry, the proletariat not only increases in number, it becomes concentrated in greater masses. Its strength grows, and it feels that strength more. The various interests in the in proportion as machinery obliterates all and nearly everywhere reduces wages to the same low level. The growing competition among the bourgeois and the results of commercial crises, the wages of the workers ever more fluctuated, increasing improvement machinery ever more rapidly developing makes their livelihood more and more precarious. The collisions between individual workmen and individual bourgeois take more and more the character of collisions between two classes. Thereupon, the workers begin to form combinations of trade unions against the bourgeois. Uh, they club together in order to keep up the rate of wages. They found permanent associations in order to make provision beforehand for these occasional revolts. Here and there, the contest breaks out into riots. Now and then, the workers are victorious, but only for a time. The real fruit of their battles lies not in the immediate result, but in the ever-expanding union of the workers. This union is helped by the improved means of communication that are created by modern industry. Oh man, if Marx could have listened or could have could have lived to you know see the technology, the communication technology that we have now. Um, right. Anyway. Holy shit. Uh, it was just this contact that was needed to centralize the numerous local struggles, all of the same character, into one national struggle between classes. But every class struggle is a political struggle, and that union to attain which the burghers of the Middle Ages with their miserable highways required centuries. The modern proletarians, thanks to railways, achieve in a few years. This organization of the proletarians into a class and consequently into a political party is continually being upset again by the competition between the workers themselves. Huh. But it ever rises up again, stronger, firmer, mightier. It compels legislative recognition of particular interests of the workers. By taking advantage of the divisions among the bourgeoisie itself. Thus, the 10 hours bill in England was carried. Together, collisions between the classes of old society further, in many ways, the course of development of the proletariat. The bourgeoisie finds itself involved in a constant battle, at first with the aristocracy later on with those portions of the bourgeoisie itself, whose interests have become antagonistic to the progress of industry, at all time with the bourgeoisie of foreign countries. In these battles, it sees itself compelled to appeal to the proletariat to ask for help, and thus to drag it into the political arena. 
The bourgeoisie itself, therefore, supplies the proletariat with its own elements of political and general education. In other words, it furnishes the proletariat with weapons for fighting the bourgeoisie. Further, as we have already seen, entire sections of the ruling class are, by the advance of industry, precipitated into the proletariat, or at least threatened in their conditions of existence. They also supply the proletariat with fresh elements of enlightenment and, uh, and progress. Finally, in times when the class struggle nears the decisive hour, the process of disillusion going on within the ruling class, in fact within the whole range of society, assumes such a violent, glaring character that a small section of the ruling class cuts itself adrift and joins the revolutionary class, the class that holds the future in its hands. Just as, therefore, at an earlier period, a section of the nobility went over to the bourgeoisie, so now a portion of the bourgeoisie goes over to the proletariat, and in particular, a portion of the bourgeois ideologists who have raised themselves to the level of comprehending theoretically the historical movement as a whole. Of all the classes that stand face to face with the bourgeoisie today, the proletariat alone is a really revolutionary class. The other classes decay and finally disappear in the face of modern industry. The proletariat is its special and simple product. Lower middle class? Me? Hell yeah, I'm lower, I'm lower middle class hillbilly as shit. The lower middle class, the small manufacturer, oh my God. <laughs> the shopkeeper, the artisan, the peasant, all these fight against the bourgeoisie to save from extinction their existence as fractions of the middle class. They're therefore not revolutionary, but conservative. Remember that, repeat that. They are therefore not revolutionary, but conservative. Nay more, they are reactionary. Huh, really? For they try to roll back the wheel of history. <laughs> if by chance they are revolutionary, they're only so in view of their impending transfer into the proletariat. They thus defend not their present, but their future interest. They desert their own standpoint to place themselves at that of the proletariat. <laughs> As if to say, <clears throat> what was the, what was it? T they're temporarily, temporarily displaced billionaires. <laughs> right. <Yeah. laughs> or temporarily- American dream. Temporarily embarrassed billionaires, you know. Yep. So, I'm gonna be on the billionaire side because you know i'm not a billionaire yet but i will be okay because i put magnets on my electric meter and that helps me save money on my electric all right clem <laughs> one of these days you're gonna have to tell us what fuckery you're doing with those magnets and how it does that but okay uh. <laughs> i have no idea ask clem I, I don't know who Clem is, but you no, do. I mean Clem. That's all that's we need the, to know. That's the guy who said that. His name was Clem. 
or maybe it wasn't Clem, okay. but I just I, I just put a random name in there, Clem. Oh my goodness! Oh, <laughs> holy shit! The dangerous Did class, the lumpen proletariat, the social scum, the passively rotting mass thrown off by the lowest layers of the old society may here and there be swept into the movement by a proletarian revolution. Its conditions of life, however, prepare it far more for the part of a bribed tool of reactionary intrigue. And that's a good one right there. Yeah. Can you read can you read can you read that again? Because that sounded so fucking Absolutely. good. Right? Absolutely. Absolutely. The dangerous class the lumpen proletariat, as in all of us joined together, the social scum, the passively rotting mass thrown off the lowest layers of the old society, may here and there be swept into the movement by a proletarian revolution. Its conditions of life, however, prepare it far more for the part of a bribed tool of reactionary intrigue. <laughs> That's really like that. What he's describing right there is that some people are so sickened that they'll remain as a anarchist, as a reactionary, instead of a more ideologically and economically centered person. That's what I get from it anyway. That's one of the most fucking powerful uh, paragraphs that he wrote. Is that deal right there? What, what do y'all think about that? I mean, I definitely think it's important, but uh, to say it's one of the most important he ever wrote, I mean, this man wrote a lot of paragraphs, bro. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> what? Many of them. <laughs> that, that, okay. Oh. For, okay, let me clarify. For myself, that is, that r really resonates, all right? I, I, I can see that being a part of the problem where we're trying to unite the left. And on, on the furthest right points of the left, we have, you know, the social Dems who are difficult to pull further to the left because you know, in a lot of cases, red scare bullshit. And then we've got people so far on the left to the anarchist tip, like you were pointing out, that they're like, oh, fuck it. They're on the, they're bordering on nihilist. And I understand why. I feel it. I, I see you. I get it. But if we're going to actually bring together the entire fucking left and have a sizable force that is capable of invoking some real fucking change, then we have to actually fucking come together. That is dangerous to have, you know, groups that feel like they don't fully fucking relate to the lump and proletariat when it's like, you are the lump and proletariat. Lump together, please. <laughs> because power is in numbers. Well, Look, the lumpen proletariat means literally like the lower proletariat. 
Yeah, like the the but criminal the that, class is what high yes. society would have. Yes. Okay. Cri I criminal, was interpreting that under, one wrong then. Criminal underclass, uh, underclass like uh, uh, the the prostitutes, the drug dealers, the uh, people who Gun they don't hunters, they, they don't they don't have a four hundred one k. Right. <laughs> okay. I have been misinterpreting that as meaning the lumpen, as in lumped together proletariat, simply because of the context I've seen it used in um, the Black Panther book that we're reading right now, the Bobby Seale book, um, Seize the Time. Um, and I did not recognize that. Hey, this is one of those moments where, you know, you pointed out we might need the dictionary. <laughs> Thank yeah, you for bringing our dictionary, and, uh, Jason. I, since you because, brought that up, uh, the lumpen proletariat um in marxist context means simply uninterested in revolutionary advancement ah okay so that puts what we've been reading of bobby steels in even further context than of like the gangbangers and drug dealers and prostitutes that they were trying to get involved yeah like come on speak up for your rights, you too are working class. Recognize the, that you too are working class. You're just working a different angle. The Appalachian uh, Oxycontin dealers. Those those two. And bathtub math, uh, bathtub meth makers. I can't even bathtub talk. Bathtub math. Yeah, bathtub meth. Hey, some math is involved. Um, but yep. Those are all workers. Yeah. And it says it right there, the dangerous class, the social scum, that passively rotting mass thrown off by the lowest layers of the old society, may here and there be swept into the movement by a proletarian revolution. Like even the lowest, gangbangers, drug dealers, prostitutes, social scum, can be lifted up by understanding that all workers should stand in solidarity regardless sex right. that's why almost every communist i've ever met is pro sex work Understand. right Absolutely. because sex work is work any form Absolutely. of labor that you're doing you are selling your body i don't care if you're working yeah, on a fucking dude, line for gm or yeah yeah hey. and it is hard manual labor so either way you're selling your body right hey I humped, I humped fucking plywood on my back for 20 years. And if uh, you tell me you were a stripper for 20 years, honey, that's some comrade shit right there. You're both fucking, we are both absolutely proletariat to our motherfucking bones. Same work. Same right. work. Same. As right. Trisha pointed out, I mean, we're all selling our bodies. Mm -hmm. Like, literally. <laughs> Rob, are you selling your body right now? Yes, he gets burnt all the fucking time. Cooking in the goddamn app. kitchen. <laughs> give, me, give me your cash app. I'll send you 50 bucks for a dick pic. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. Just kidding. That's a joke there. That's, oh, a, joke. Man. That's a, joke. a joke. First requested dick pic ever. No. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Hey, at least he's offering payment. So, uh, judging by the, the time frame that we're working with here, I think if we finish this section, um, that'll be a, a nice place to button it up.
to bring it back next week. You know, uh, chapter two, proletarians and communists would be the start of next week. What do you guys think? Sounds good to me. Sure. Okay. Sweet. In the conditions of the proletariat. Yeah, we're creeping right now. What? Go ahead. I was just going to say we're creeping up on an hour and a half, so that sounds perfect. But oh, right. Yeah. That's, the audio that's is not I... aligning. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that, that happens sometimes. I it's just my signal. Robert Sorry. said in the comments, 50 bucks is 50 bucks. <laughs> Right. <laughs> it's just a picture. Oh, man. In the conditions of the proletariat, those of old society at large are already virtually swamped. The proletarian is without property. His relation to his wife and children has no longer anything in common with the bourgeois family relations. Modern industrial labor, modern subju uh, subjection to capital, the same in England as in France, and America as in Germany, has stripped him of every trace of national character. Law, morality, religion are to him so many bourgeois pre prejudices behind which lurk an ambush just as many bourgeois interests. All the preceding classes that uh, got the upper hand sought to fortify their already acquired status by subjecting society at large to their conditions of appropriation. The proletarians cannot become masters of the productive forces of society except by abolishing their own previous mode of appropriation and thereby also every other previous mode of appropriation. They have nothing of their own to secure and to fortify. Their mission is to destroy all previous securities for and insurances of individual property. All previous historical movements were movements of minorities or in the interest of minorities. The proletarian movement is the self-conscious independent movement of humanity in interest of the immense majority. The proletariat, lowest stratum of our society, cannot stir, cannot raise itself up without the whole superimposed official society being sprung into the air. Though not in substance yet in form, the struggle of the proletariat with the bourgeoisie is at first a national struggle. The proletariat of each country must, of course, first of all, sell matters with its own joy. In depicting the most general phases of the development of the proletariat, we trace the more or less veiled civil war raging within existing society, up to the point where that war breaks out into open revolution and where the violent overthrow of the bourgeoisie lays the foundation for the sway of the proletariat. Hitherto, Hitherto every form of society has been based, as we have already seen, on the antagonism of oppressing and oppressed classes. But in order to oppress a class, certain conditions must be assured to it under which it can at least continue its slavish existence. The serf in the period of serfdom raised himself to membership in the commune, just as the petty bourgeois, under the yoke of the feudal absolutionism, managed to develop into a bourgeois. The modern laborer, on the contrary, instead of rising with the process of industry, 
sinks deeper and deeper below the conditions of existence of his own class. He becomes a pauper, and pauperism develops more rapidly than population and wealth. And here it becomes evident that the bourgeoisie is unfit any longer to be the ruling class in society and to oppose its conditions of existence upon society as an overriding law. It is unfit to rule because it is incompetent to assure an existence to its slave within his slavery because it cannot help letting him sink into such a state that it has to feed him instead of being fed by him. Society can no longer live under this bourgeoisie. In other words, its existence is no longer compatible with society. Come on, one of y'all finish that up. The essential Rob, condition it was your uh, turn, for but... <laughs> the existence and for the sway of the bourgeois class is the formation and augmentation of capital. The condition for capital is wage labor. Wage labor rests exclusively on competition between the laborers. The advance of industry, whose involuntary promoter is the bourgeoisie, replaces the isolation of the laborers due to competition by the revolutionary combination due to association. The development of modern industry, therefore, cuts from under its feet the very foundation on which the, eh, on which the bourgeoisie produces and appropriates products. What the bourgeoisie therefore produces above all is its own gravediggers. Its fall and the victory of the proletariat are equally inevitable. One thing that I, I wanna point out before we uh, wrap this up though, is that I, I don't know that Marx um, at this point in his career anyway, was totally aware of how adaptable capitalism was going to be. Um, I think that he figured that out later on, more specifically when he was writing Capital or leading up to writing Capital. Um, but the point is, though, that I think that he addressed that shortcoming on his own. I just wanted to point it out. Absolutely. Sorry to change the subject, but who is our furry comrade? That was a really adorable little puppy there. <laughs> oh. <clears throat> That's Bandito. Me Bandito. I don't know why I did He's that. A cute but guy. Put the pie back up there. Right. Oh, he's a cutie pie. Yeah. <laughs> Australian cattle dog. Ah. Let me get Very the other cool. one. That's way. It's way cuter. She's she's adorable. Good God, she looks just too too sexy. Jesus. One second. <laughs> Robert said he was about to ask, and uh, cute. Right, he's such an adorable puppy. You know I love the fluffy comrades. Got to acknowledge them when they make an appearance. Here you go. This is Sophie. Aww. 
Hi, Sophie. She's a real sweetie. Oh my goodness. She's gorgeous. She just wants to nuzzle up to your face. Colorings are great. She's another uh, cattle yeah, dog. She's cattle dog. Pretty. She's going to be a worker. She yeah. looks great. Nice and thick. Nice and dense. Well, she just peed on me a little bit, but that's okay. You know, I wish... Part of what comes with puppies. I wish I had friends that would get so excited to see me, they would just pee on me a little. You know? I'd be like, <laughs> oh my god <laughs> well maybe yeah, not like, maybe not really a whole different arena. maybe not like real pee but maybe just like they thought they were gonna pee and they just like oh, I didn't pee but I almost did I'd be like I don't or if you get stung if you get stung by a jellyfish may you have a friend nearby kind enough to pick on you let's uh, are gypsy tears good for stingray stings too, or is that just like an old 1970s thing? That, that's that's just some old racist shit, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy! Next comes the snake oil. <laughs> yeah, snake oil. Hey, you know, let me tell you something. Uh, Snake oil. Yeah, they used to like take like olive oil, <clears throat> put a snake in it, and they'd be like, eh, this will make your dick hard. <laughs> got dudes who are like, fuck, fuck. I ate some of that shit. Snake oil. But, uh, hey, you, look, y'all, man, I'm so high, man. Smoke those dabs. If I'm not making any sense, man, just cancel my ass out of here. Shit. You're showing good. puppies. Well, I mean, we're, 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 we're reading right, Karl Marx and I start holding up puppies. You know. Hey, I, I think Marx would have approved. Yeah, yeah. Lennon puppies was, agree. Lennon was a big cat person. So. Yes, yes, he was. There's so many cool pictures of Lennon with his kitty cats. Hey, you're more... I was uh, enjoying scrolling through those last week. You're more farther left... Uh, Casts are fantastic, and uh, it's great. You're sort of at the, the beginning because really nobody's really doing that right now, but you are, and it's fantastic. Please keep it up. The more further left, the more socialist, communist, Marx, Lenin, Stalin you wanted to talk about. Man, I'm your boy, <laughs> Khrushchev. Fuck that guy. I mean, yeah, you're not going to hear anything out of me there. Um, I mean, we started this as a pan-leftist thing, though, so, I mean, if any of our, you know, anarchist comrades uh, want to come, come out and talk about their beliefs, I'm not going to, like, censor them or anything. Uh, oh. But, you know. What? Like, I don't know. Wow. Oh, we just see, see where... Us. That's what I was trying to do. I was trying to go around the block and <laughs> censoring people. No, no, no. <laughs> well, no, no. I, I mean, I was just meaning that uh, personally I agree with you, but also I, I'm not going to, like, you know, tell an anarchist no, they can't, you know, be platformed here. The whole, the whole idea is to bring everybody wow. together. And really, 
Woo. In my opinion, man, that, overhead, our, our that overhead light our was states. throwing bad light on me, man. <laughs> <laughs> that, sorry, sorry, sorry. that disagreement, though, on the role of the state doesn't mean shit while we're under a dictatorship of the bourgeoisie. Right. And that's the is thing. It like, a, is is, it is a anarchy a beautiful of the, dream? Of the, of the bourgeoisie? Or is it a democracy of the bourgeoisie? Excluding excluding the proletariat from the bourgeoisie. I mean, that's fair enough. I would think so, so, Ricky Bobby. (laughs) You ever had you some Mountain Dew and follow that up with some boiled peanuts, a slice of watermelon? And a bite of cornbread in the morning. Tell you what, Central Texas, where I'm from, they don't really say stuff like that. (laughs) In Michigan, uh, where I'm from, we typically smoke our dabs for breakfast. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Oh, shit. I'm going to check you out with that. Big ass fucking glass piece. I'm over here rocking my little mini nectar collector because this is easier on my lungs. Fair and enough. it's silicone. Can't break it. Also fair enough. Um, so if you like what we're doing, um, you can keep up with us on our website, which is forwardmini.org. Oh, wow. If you would like to support us, totally torture, <laughs> you can go to patreon.com slash many. You can find us on Facebook. We have a page and two groups. Um, you probably have found our page if you're watching this. Um, we're on Twitter at For We Are Many Two, and then on Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube, it's all at For We Are Many Podcast. Um, let's see. What do we tomorrow? We're gonna have a, a historical piece on the AFL, the CIO, and the AFL CIO, kind of the de-radicalization of these uh, organizations as they came uh, closer and closer in contact with the bourgeoisie. Um, and Thursday, so relevant to what we spoke about today. Right. And Thursday, uh, we will be doing part 10 of our series on Bobby Seal's book, Seize the Time. And then we'll be back Monday with another current event stream. Anybody else got anything they want to plug, or are we good to wrap this up? I think we're good. Yeah. Fairly big. (laughs) I don't want to talk about politics anymore. Let's talk about, like, puppies and weed and shit. (laughs) Hmm. This little puppy right here, he feels so good. I said, this little puppy right here feels so good right now. Let me tell you something. It's like, you're like, hmm, hmm, hmm. Puppy love. Oh, yeah. Come on. Hmm, hmm, hmm. Chase through, getting them puppy snuggles. <laughs>